welcome back to Tuesday at Dobbs's. This week's episode is sponsored by Excel Moto, the one-stop shop for all things biking related. And I've got a 15% discount to share with you all until the 21st of December. So you can use the code here for 15% off across the board. And additionally, finally put them up. You'll see behind me, I'll try and include a different one every week. These are Monica's prints from The Villain. I think she's currently doing website updates, but it should be live again soon. You can pick up these prints, multiple different sizes from the website. So go and check them out. As always, thank you so much everyone for getting in touch, sharing your thoughts and opinions. You can email if you've got a longer story, hi at tuesdayatdobbs.com or the comments section below is the best place to do so. Last week's episode, focused around the Himalayan. In fact, I'll jump in here. I got so much interesting feedback about Himalayan pronunciation. I think for Himalayan, I'm okay to pronounce it Himalayan. It was 50-50-ish, but a few Indian riders messaged me and said, Freddie, it's okay. We pronounce it Himalayan, but Himalayan for you is okay. So I'll carry on with Himalayan if you don't mind. Talking about the Himalayan last week, the conversation slightly evolved over to Chinese bikes. Now, Chinese bikes are really, really polarizing. You get a number of people saying they really have come on leaps and bounds in the past few years, but you also equally get people who just would not touch anything Chinese made with a barge pole. So I wanted to spend a good chunk of this week's episode focusing on Chinese motorbikes, your thoughts and opinions on them, among other things. And I begin with Martin, Chinese built bikes. Freddie thought I'd give you my thoughts on the Benelli TRK502, I'll put brackets in here, Chinese built, that you mentioned last week. I had an old Piaggio X9 250 scooter that was in danger of falling apart. So I called into my local Benelli dealer to have a look at the TRK. Once I saw it in the flesh, I was bowled over by the looks, build quality, and especially the price. And when they offered me a thousand pounds trade-in on my scooter, I ordered one on the spot. I had the usual reservations about Chinese build quality, but after two and a half years of ownership and nearly 8,000 miles, including a couple of trips fully loaded to the continent, it hasn't missed a beat and I already own a big tourer and a commuter scooter. So this fits in the middle very nicely. It's a lot of bike for not much money. And the new 702, which is available, is just as good value, if not better. On to Bruno. Freddy the Mash. They are quite popular here in Belgium and France. The bike is a copy of a Japanese bike, but with worse parts. Bending, shifting forks in the gearbox. Broken, loose spokes on the wheels. Bad wiring connectors giving lots of trouble when they get wet. And rust. I would rather buy a Hunter or Classic 350. On to Simon. A little feedback about MASH motorcycles. I own the MASH 400 Scrambler, which I love. I'm five foot six and was looking for a classic looking trail bike. I checked out the Royal Enfield Himalayan, but thought it too heavy at 200 kilos. So I bought the MASH, which weighs 40 kilos less. 
The bike's great fun and easy to maintain and it's been very reliable for me. Ideal for country lanes and light off-road stuff. It will run all day because it's a copy of a Honda engine. And at two and a half grand for a 2018 model, the price was lower than a used Royal Enfield bike and it looks great. Moving on, Finland and speeding. A whole biking season lost. This is from Henry. I live in Finland and last Christmas, I mean, this is brave, Henry. Christmas, Finland and motorcycles. I just don't know how those three things work. How do you ride a motorcycle at Christmas time in Finland? I begin. I uh, bought a, a motorcycle in Finland last Christmas. I uh, bought the bike and it was a Benelli Leoncino 500. I managed to ride for five weeks and cover 3,000 kilometers battling icy conditions and cold weather all the time until the police, hiding with a radar, took away my license for speeding at 170 170, at 127 kilometers in a 60 kilometer an hour zone. I'm not a daredevil. I ride or I rode calmly by myself. However, my friends are experienced riders and were going much faster. I felt like I needed to get used to a higher speed when riding with them. I only got my license back this week after a six month wait and I received a two 1,300 euro fine. I lost the entire last summer season as my motorcycle sat in the yard waiting and I pleaded with the police to give me back my license, but to no mercy. However, I learned a valuable lesson. I'd rather deal with fines this time than wake up in the hospital after a crash with broken legs or worse. Next summer, I plan to change my driving habits spending less time riding with friends and more time enjoying solitary rides on smaller roads. I heard from my friend in Denmark, someone verify this, this is really interesting, Henry. Heard from my friend in Denmark, the law is so strict that in a similar situation, the government seizes your motorcycle or car and sells it at auction, no matter how much it costs. Henry, I feel your pain very, very clearly because when I passed my driving license for a car at the age of 17, I spent the first two years of my life just the worst luck thinking I was Vin Diesel because I passed my test when the Fast and Furious films were exploding and every teenage boy wanted to be either Paul Walker or Vin Diesel. So I was street racing everywhere everywhere. I genuinely thought I was Vin Diesel and I had my license taken away from me for dangerous driving by the police. Not just banned for X amount of time, they actually took my license away. It was revoked. I had to do the entire thing again. The lessons, the theory, the test, all of it. And I had my pride and joy at the time. I had a, I think I had a Vauxhall Calibra incredible car. I love that. Vauxhall Cleaver sitting in my driveway. Couldn't drive it. Heart broken. I know how you feel, Henry. Glad you've got it back. On to Romania. Freddie, my name's Paul. 26 years old and I recently got my full license. I have a little bit of trouble deciding on my first bike. 
considering I have zero experience and I live in Bucharest, Romania, the fourth place on the most congested list of cities in Europe. Paul, I had no idea, no idea Bucharest was so congested. I continue, I'm 173 centimetres and 73 kilos. I love the look of the Bonneville and the Speedmaster, but they're just out of my budget. I have around six to 7,000 euros, depending on the bike. I'm going to use it mainly for commuting to work and some light touring with my fiance to the mountains and to our parents' hometown, 330 kilometers away. I was thinking about the Royal Enfield Meteor 350. I like this bike, but in my country, this brand is underrated and everyone talks about the speed limitations. Considering that the brand is not appreciated here in Romania, I don't want to get stuck with this bike for more than one to two years so I can't, or so I can move on to a bigger bike. I was looking at the Honda Rebel 500 and the CL500. Those are the ones that I really like and I can also buy them new because in Romania we have a 2000 euro discount from the EU program Rabla Moto where to buy new bikes, you can exchange for old cars. So you get 2,000 euros if you trade in your old car, regardless of how old it is, in place of a motorbike. It's a brilliant scheme. What do you think about those bikes? And what advice can you give me for the first season? Thank you, Paul. I want to lead this on to something because I had a few bits of insight into Hondas in general. So I'll share these and then get back to this. This is from Jack. With regards to the Honda CL500 specifically, and how that compares in Jack's mind to the new upcoming Himalayan. Honda CL500. This is from Jack. Honda quality, reliability, practical, with superior engineering when compared to the Royal Enfield. Good balance of types of riding requirements. Far better choice than the Royal Enfield Himalayan. Or choose any of the Honda parallel twins that are demonstrably superior to any Royal Enfield. Okay, Jack, let me jump in here and carry on with this. And then I will get back, Paul, to you in Romania. This is really interesting because Royal Enfield, I think, have, have almost done similar to what Hyundai, the car manufacturer, did 20 years ago where in essence you bastardize the market. So you create a really good product and sell it for almost an impossible to beat price. I remember Hyundai used to be the laughing stock really in the car world up until about 20 years ago when they brought out the Hyundai i10. Before the Hyundai i10 came out, no one respected the Hyundai brand. They were seen as just cheap cars, but with no discernible good factors or points. But then they, they changed everything. They started making good cars, but carried on selling them at rock bottom prices. But then as they started to get a foothold in the market, people started respecting them. They started having a customer base. They could start still being extremely competitively priced, but start getting more in line with the rest of the market price-wise because they'd got that foothold in the market. Is this potentially what Royal Enfield may consider doing? They've been selling now for a good eight years, maybe six years or so, really, really good, well-built, reliable bikes for rock bottom prices, such good prices. 
that you really cannot compete with them. But the new Himalayan has come in at significantly more money than the old one. You do get significantly more for your money, but it is noticeably more expensive. And a few people picked me up on this last week saying that the Himalayan is no longer the absolute bargain it used to be. So what I've done here, I've put up the Honda CL500 right here and the new Royal Enfield Himalayan right here. Have a listen to the differences on specs. Let's see how close they are. Honda, 6,150 pounds, 500 cc, 191 kilos wet weight and 46 horsepower. Look at the Himalayan. It's 5,750 pounds, so it is 400 pounds cheaper still than the Honda. So it's a good chunk cheaper, but you get 50 cc less, you get six horsepower less, and you get five kilos more. We really are starting to see here, at least on paper, two very similarly specced motorcycles, if you just look at it purely from a, a spec sheet point of view. There is not much in it anymore. It's really getting quite close now. So going back to Paul in Romania, Paul, I think it's an excellent choice. I was having a look, taking out Royal Enfield because in Romania, they're still not that respected, bear in mind. I couldn't find anything on the market that is even close to the package you get for the Honda CL500 in terms of performance, looks, build quality, reliability, and of course price. Nothing at all in the market that competes with that. But I would love to hear from any of you if you think I'm wrong and if there's anything else Paul should consider in Romania. I move on to a few more of your thoughts on the Himalayan from Nokian Lifter. Freddie, you could buy the Fantic Rally for a similar price, same power and almost 50 kilos lighter. That's a lovely looking bike, the Fantic Rally. See, that's 6,600 pounds. That's a Chinese built engine on the Fantic. It's 450 cc, 150 kilos dry weight. So I think it's probably about 30 kilos lighter than the Himalayan. And it's 43 horsepower. See, for me, if we look at the Fantic and the Honda and the Royal Enfield, the Fantic for me still has a slightly uphill battle to try and compete with those two with, with the pricing that these two bikes are coming in at. It's a real struggle for the Fantic, although they do look brilliant and I've ridden one and they are very, very fun bikes, but it's got its work cut out. On to Duncan. Freddie, I've just been around Southeast Asia on my 2023 Himalayan for the last year. Oh, Duncan, one year traveling around Southeast Asia. I'm planning on returning next year for longer and I was looking forward to get another new Himalayan, but I won't be after seeing the 2024 model. They've taken the classic Steve McQueen look out of the bike and made it look like a cheap Japanese alternative bike. The roughness is gone, the dash awful, the colors are not good. And if I bought one, I would have to change my whole motorcycle wardrobe to suit it. On to Luca. I've just come back from a thousand kilometer solo trip in Morocco from Marrakesh to the desert and back. Got me daydreaming Luca on a 2023 Himalayan, great bike 
and it's making me consider my 1200cc Triumph. Such a big engine no longer makes sense. On to Carl. Well, I'm sold. I'm selling my Triumph Tiger 660 and I've just bought a 450cc Himalayan. Let's face it, KTM and CF Moto are the same in my book and most bikes are made of or have parts made in China. Carl, this is an interesting point. Let me look into this. CF Moto, Chinese brand. How, how much CF Moto is there in KTM and vice versa? I wanted to find this out. How blended have these two brands become? CF Moto Chinese brand, KTM, Austrian brand. I'll start here with outlookindia.com for a brief overview. I quote, CF Moto is one of the production partners of KTM. The Chinese company will solely be making the 799cc parallel twin LC8 motor that will power the 790 Duke from 2020. So that means that in the 790 Duke that came out three years ago, and tell me if I'm wrong, but this is what I believe here from reading it, every single 790 Duke made in the past three years has had a Chinese built engine. Moving on to MCN, and again I'm quoting, KTM 790 Adventure 2023 model onwards. In a bold move by KTM, the new 790 Adventure and 790 Duke is built in its entirety, including the engine. Wow, wow. By CF Moto in China and not KTM in Austria like their other adventure bikes. This cost-saving decision has seen KTM able to offer the 790 Adventure at under £10,000 sterling, putting it head-to-head -head with the new breed of middleweight adventure bike rivals from Japan. So it's not just the engine anymore, it's the entire motorcycle being built in China. KTM motorbikes, the whole lot, built in China for two specific models. So let's compare this. CF Moto, 800cc MT touring bike, touring bike. Bear in mind it's got the full pannier set up here. This is 9,200 pounds. And if you want, in essence, what will be a very, very similar bike, but with KTM branding on it, that's 9,999 pounds with no panniers. So you're still making a notable saving. But to be fair, that KTM, from a positive point of view, is now quite competitively priced. Under 10K for a really good bike like that, I mean, that's got to be a good thing. On to Tasmania. Who would have guessed it? On to Tasmania to continue our chat with regards to CF Moto. A big hello from Tasmania. Remember me? I do remember you, Karina. Yes, I do. Remember me, I had the CF Moto 700 CLX adventure bike. I hated it. The electronics were god awful and it was just not my kind of bike. So I saved up and bought myself a Royal Enfield Super Meteor 650 Cruiser 
And wow, it's such a beautiful quality machine. Such a great bike and with loads of low down torque. Do yourself a favor, buy a Royal Enfield bike. They are tough, rugged, gorgeous and stress-free. Great machines. They will withstand what you throw at them. I got such a shock when I did the test ride at exactly how well built they are. The more you ride them, the better they get. Karina in Tasmania. Brilliant Karina. Lithuania bound. Hi Fred in Monica. My motorbike, a Kawasaki ZZR 1400 2014 model was stolen in September 2023 from my home in London. Ah, the police investigation was non-existent and they closed the case, but I regularly check various websites for my parts, eBay, Facebook Marketplace, etc. A couple of days ago I found, okay, get ready for this because this is a, a bit of a shout for help here. A couple of days ago I found some of my Kawasaki ZZR 1400 parts up for sale on eBay. They're being sold by a company in Vilnius, Lithuania. There is no doubt in my mind that those are my parts as I fully rebuilt the bike during the summer of 2023 and so I know the bike inside out. I understand this is a long shot, but I'm after any connections to the motorbike scene in Vilnius or the police. I've already informed the Met, but they're unwilling to do anything. Oh, Henry, it just shows the speed of these operations. Because your bike has gone from being stolen to completely, I'm guessing, stripped for parts and somehow shipped across the channel and driven a thousand miles or so all the way to Lithuania. The bikes just turn into ghosts. This is how it happens. It's fascinating to see it because a bike will be stolen and you can often think, well, how you steal a bike, then what do you do with it? You sell the bike. People are going to know that that's a stolen bike. It's going to flash up on on any online database. But the reality is what happens, these bikes just almost get turned into dust, broken up into so many tiny pieces, resold on for parts, which always command good money, selling parts for motorcycles used. They always get good money, these parts. And it is almost impossible to tell, to put your finger on the fact that yes, these are my parts from my bike and it just turns into a horribly difficult situation to be in. So Henry, I feel for you. If I hear anything, Henry, I will let you know. And if you manage to, well, I don't know, head over to Lithuania, track this company down, let me know. I would love to share any updates on that. Bike of the week. This bike of the week is inspired by an older rider. Financial advice from an older gent. This is from Tony. As my granddad would always say, if you can't afford to pay cash for a motorbike or anything, then you can't afford it. It's really very simple, isn't it? I think the older generation live like that much more than we do. Now it's it's everything on finance, everything on credit. You want something now, you want your dream car, dream motorbike, dream camera, etc. It's fine, get it on finance. 
pay it off monthly and worry about it later. We have dream vehicles within arm's reach pretty much all the time now. It's completely different to how it was, I'm guessing, 40, 50 years or so ago. But this did inspire me for this week. I wanted to try and find, let's say, and I'm talking personally here, let's say I would have, if I were to have to buy a motorcycle within my budget that I could personally afford now or save up a month or two to get, I could probably afford a bike worth about two and a half K, maybe three K at a push. Cash, my own cash in my bank. And if I had to do that, I would want a bike that I feel could travel the world, be reliable, robust, well-built, something I could be proud of and something that I feel like I could rough it up. I could take it to Morocco and it could cope with everything I throw at it. I want something that can do everything and I could travel the world on in essence. So I went and I had a look. Best adventure bikes of the 2000s. This is from topspeed.com. I kept this very simple. I had a look through this list of adventure bikes and I scrolled all the way down past the BMW 1150GS, past the KTM 990 Adventure, past the Honda XRV Africa Twin, past the Ducati Multistrada, another BMW Triumph Tiger, Transalp, Yamaha XT660, and all the way to number one, the BMW F800GS, around about the 2008 model. Now, I think this is a bike I've mentioned before, but if I'm on a budget and I'm looking for a do-it-all bike, I don't know if there are any other bikes that tick so many boxes. Before I read this, I would love to hear from you. Let's say you've got a two and a half to three thousand pound budget. What is the best do-it-all motorcycle that you can get for two and a half to three thousand pounds? You need to be able to travel the world in it. You need to be able to go two up on it. You have to be able commute in it, to be able to commute in it. You have to do everything on it. Two and a half to three k. Can someone better the F eight hundred GS? This is from Top Speed, I'm quoting, BMW downsizing the R1200GS to 800cc achieved what the R80GS did back in the 80s. It created a whole new class of middleweight adventure bikes with the ability of the bigger models, but lighter and more accessible. I found, I almost can't believe how good this is, how much bike you get for the money. I have found a genuinely lovely looking 2009 BMW F800 GS Facebook Marketplace. In fact, this is in Dartford, so only about four miles from me. Locked up in a little garage by the looks of it. And I can see just behind it, they've got all of the panniers. So full metal pannier setup with top box. This is good to go. And I'll read here. Excellent, fully loaded F800GS. Bought off a BMW mechanic who did everything as soon as it was needed and added lots of upgrades. Got it to have a bit of fun and found it excellent for commuting, but have just got a bike with more fairings for the winter and I'm never going to use it. 
or I'm never going to use what this great machine is capable of. It's got around one and a half thousand pounds worth of extra parts on it, including aluminium panniers. In fact, actually I've seen here, I, I'm quoting, I will sell the bike without the BMW top box and aluminium panniers for 3,000 pounds and sell the luggage separately, or you can have the luggage worth around one and a half thousand for three and a half K. Okay, so I've been cheeky, pushed it to the limit, but I could get this bike for 3,000 pounds. It's got 60,000 miles on the clock, which I'm sure you'll agree for a BMW is fine. I can't think of a better bike for a sensible budget that I could buy near enough for cash and follow Tony's grandfather's advice. Don't buy what you can't actually afford. Can anyone else top that? Under £3,000 for a bike that can genuinely do it all. I'll wrap it up there. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to this week's episode. Have a brilliant week all, and I'll speak to you all in the next one.